Louis Damani Jones is currently the Voter Engagement Coordinator overseeing the midterm election efforts for the Gephardt Institute for Civic and Community Engagement at Washington University in St. Louis. He also works as a consultant with the Catholic Social Ministry consulting firm Corgan Associates. He is on the Board of Directors for Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of St. Louis, the Seeds of Justice Network, and the Before Gethsemane Initiative. He has a passion for charity and justice and has previously served in a variety of roles within diocesan social ministries. He is married with two children and holds a Master of Social Work degree from Washington University in St. Louis. This is Echoes and Hope with Louis Damani Jones. had kind of a winding journey of faith and was baptized Catholic as an infant. My dad and my mom both are baptized Catholics. They were not married. My dad didn't really practice his faith at any time. He was the only person in his immediate family baptized Catholic for some reason. Even his parent, like no one else is Catholic. This is very strange. So anyways, he didn't really ever practice Catholicism. And my mom kind of grew up, uh, she grew up in a family that converted. Um, and so she did practice her faith, but you know, kind of went through different seasons with that. So I was raised primarily by my mom. And uh, essentially, you know, I was one of those people who didn't really ever live their faith so much. Like I did go to mass at times when I was a kid, but I was kind of in my own world. My mom and my dad both led a life of activism. So as a kid, actually, when I was born in, in New York, my dad and my mom lived in a uh, communal house for folks with HIV AIDS who were formerly homeless and incar formerly incarcerated. And that was like kind of this ethos that I was kind of raising, which was influenced by uh, Christian spirituality and Catholicism specifically, actually, because of my the influence of a man named Father David Kirk on my dad. So it was kind of more of a activist ethos than a Catholic ethos. And so that was kind of like me raised. So I, uh, you know, ended up throughout high school kind of detaching myself from from Catholicism and Christianity. Did a lot of activist work in a lot of different sectors, many non-Catholic, non-Christian, some opposed to Catholicism and Christian spaces. And uh, then, and this is a very truncated story, then, um, you know, around the time of uh, Mike Brown's killing in 2014, I moved into a, a house in that area of St. Louis, actually in North St. Louis City, Ferguson's in North St. Louis County uh, with a group of activists and there I actually encountered the Bible really deeply. And when I was encountering the Bible, I kind of had a like resurgence of faith. Ended up leaving that house due to some deep conflicts in the house. Uh, as I was going through that process, ended up becoming a Coptic Orthodox. Spent some years worshiping with, with the Coptic Orthodox community and uh, eventually uh, had a reversion into Catholicism, which was its own long journey. And as I reverted into Catholicism, I had a renewed love for the documents of the church, particularly the Second Vatican Council documents and our Catholic social tradition. And those that kind of is what illuminates my faith a lot now. So that's truncated version. There's a particular story that I always talk about when I talk about that transition. So I used to do a Bible study with the Ethiopian deacon. 
And me and the Ethiopian deacon used to like answer questions. Like when people used to come and like a lot of the Egyptian families would like come uh, to the to the Bible study. And so one time an Egyptian woman asked us if she could attend the wedding mass of a Catholic friend and take communion. And after that, we were like, no, they're heretics. Like you could never take communion from them. So then I was like, let me actually like learn more about like the distinctions between, you know, from a theological standpoint, so I can give a better explanation than just calling people heretics. And so then as I was going through and like going deep on, on that, as I read the, the church councils where we differed, I started to agree with the Catholic interpretation, particularly like the early church councils, which we're not going to get to that right now, but about, about the nature of Christ and who Christ is really convincing. And I found the position as I had heard it and learned it to be kind of like caricatured and not accurate. And when that happened, I kind of just questioned a lot of things. And then it was kind of like a rapid fire kind of conversion all the way up to the Second Vatican Council documents. And what really got me about those documents is that in the Orthodox community, and there's obviously different Orthodox communities, but in the one that I particularly was in, and then some of the Eastern ones, uh, other Eastern ones, there was a, a question about how do we interact with modernity in the modern world? And like, how do we live this ancient faith in a contemporary environment? And that's exactly what the Second Vatican Council was actually about. So <laughs> because of that, I was just enamored, like, wow, these have this, these documents provide answers for all of the churches about how to live this ancient faith in a contemporary way. And that's kind of what brought me into this current moment. The universality of Catholicism is actually at the heart of Catholicism. And I guess what makes it so unique is the fact that it's a, glo a globally practiced faith. Many faiths are globally practiced, but I think that Catholicism is unique in that. And there's many, again, many faiths that have this, this like kind of culturally situated element, but the history of the church and how like how many seasons that's gone through for me as a, in terms of Christianity is very, is, I think, very unique. Islam also has had been many cultures and enculturated in many different ways. But I think in terms of the Christian traditions, Catholicism is unique. Even the ancient Orthodox traditions are very culturally situated. That's actually like kind of the most characteristic element of many of the Orthodox traditions. So Catholicism is unique in that it's like this really amazing unity and diversity. And it's very, there's a lot of that. And that's what I think is unique about Catholicism, that we haven't done a good job of talking about and presenting. I think that the question of American Blackness in the church, the challenges really come around the socio-political elements of that. And there's no challenges in terms of the faith because like I was saying earlier, the faith can be lived in any cultural context. So the challenges actually come from the socio-political dimensions of American Catholicism. And that's because in the United States, obviously you had a very binary, white, black, socio-political regime. And it's kind of difficult because the time, you know, the church, like it's famous in the church's documents, brothers and sisters to us, which was the church's way of trying to address racism. It even situated itself as like black people being separate from who we're speaking. And that's something that many people have written about in terms of thinking. And that's why the black bishops then made, had a whole nother document about what we have seen, like what, how, it's like, it's just very, like it was a very weird dichotomized experience. And I think that's actually an experience that many people have and obviously you can go back to W.E.B. Du Bois who talks about the double consciousness which I think happens same in American Catholicism. So I think it's just that challenge. I think as time continues we're in a state where our world is in a globalized situation you know where the racial question is ever-changing. It's no longer how it was. I think about in the United States for example where you have the Hispanic population being greater than the African-American population by a large amount and that's increasing. And so the, the binary in the United States is, is breaking down a lot. 
in many ways. And so actually, I think a lot of the racial questions that we've been facing, I mean, some of them are related to the historical white-black interaction, but it's also related to the pressures of globalization on that. And that, I think, you know, is a lot of, of the experience that I have, just the same that any other African-American man has, but especially, you know, in the church, it's kind of like, in a new, very localized way, you know, you have the same kind of the church, like a microcosm or whatever culture it's in, in terms of reflecting the greater challenges. So I think that's kind of very convoluted answer, but yeah. I definitely think everyone has a certain calling in the church. And obviously I'm, you know, it's hard to discern that's a lifelong discernment. And often people will come into their vocation at the end of their life. So I can't really say, you know, <laughs> what the are. but I do think that for sure, one of the big passions that I've had in the church has been a desire to connect people with our history of charity and justice, particularly as it connects to Catholic social doctrine, but also the historical nature of the church's expression of charitable activity from hospitals to charitable institutions. Again, we're the number one a healthcare provider in the in the world in terms of you know non-governmental same thing with charitable works this is a part of who we are as a church so i like to connect people with that and then offset the theory of that in terms of catholic social doctrine and then how that connects to the the spirit of the new evangelization so i think that's been something that's been very dear to me and also i think connected to that very connected to that has been my feeling of wanting to be someone who helps to bridge this divisive spirit in the church meaning like, you know, we can't speak to each other across ideological lines or even ethnic lines in some cases with some folks in the church and bridging that because that's very damaging. And the same thing that, again, it's happening in the culture, it's happening in the church, but in like a hyper localized way in that kind of setting. So that's another one of the things that I find myself often like in that place, both in the church and in the world actually. So before Gethsemane Initiative, which is a very powerful initiative dealing with the realities of you know, racism and the reality of the kind of general lack of realization of the sanctity of every human life as kind of an inherent problem in our culture and kind of addresses this on many fronts, but particularly it's against racism and xenophobia, which is a place where the question of human dignity is very central and has always been a core in terms of racial justice advocacy and helping people to realize that this is really a question of recognizing people's inherent dignity as an equal human person. So I find that in very much so continuity with both the history of racial justice advocacy and the history of the church's tradition. So it's a very unique expression. It's a team of as many people on that team with diverse backgrounds, gifts, expression. And so really um, that work is to help to encourage conversations, especially in schools and settings like that, encourage conversations about race and, and helping people to challenge, again, internalized racism, xenophobia, and many of these feelings that we all experience in different ways, all through the light of our faith and uh, Catholic social doctrine. And so that's a really special ministry that's starting to, to take shape. So I'm really blessed to be on that team and to be a part of the story of that. We always have to turn back to the fundamentals to answer new questions. And that's exactly what the Second Vatican Council did to come to the place where it came. And many people think the Second Vatican Council was an abandonment of tradition, but in, in all actuality, the interpretation was that this was a return to the fundamentals of the fact that we are called to go out and to be, we're called to be communion in the world, just as Christ is communion for us, we are communion for, for the world and we're a sacrament to the world. And remembering that as we enter into conversations of political and social questions, are we being a sacrament to the world? Are we being a, like something that's, that's just a part of the you know, general malaise? Are we, are we adding something unique? Are we being something that sanctifying the world? 
And I think that's really something we have to ask ourselves. When we look at the, you know, the lay movement uh, of monasticism when it first came, that was lay people who felt the call to go back to what is the gospel calling us to um, we have to ask ourselves the same question. We're definitely in a challenging cultural situation on a very a variety of fronts. And so the answer is not going to come from just joining one side or the other, right? In some type of cultural battle. It's going to come from turning to the fundamentals of what Jesus Christ asked us to do and asked us to be. So I would just say, try, right? It's hard. Nobody's going to obviously succeed in returning to the fullness of Christ. Obviously, we're going to be struggling, but try and, and make that your fundamental vision 